The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Glenn Beck. Feminists, gather around. I've got great news for you. You're not going to believe this. But while you have been fighting the patriarchy here in the oppressive, toxic, masculinity-driven state of the Western world, women in Saudi Arabia themselves have been fighting their own battle. I mean, it's not as important as yours in this oppressive regime and hierarchy. I don't know how you do it every day. Anyway, uh, you know how you've been fighting for the rights of transgender and non-binary people to, you know, be able to mark X on their birth certificate, you know, or use the restroom of their choice. Well, women in Saudi Arabia have just earned the right to drive. Well, not all of them. That would be crazy. Ten of them. Ten of them did. Ten women in Saudi Arabia can now drive. You know, I'll guess there are 15 women, 15 million women in the country, but 10, not million, just 10 can now drive. The women were only allowed to drive and have a license because they previously had a driver's license in other countries. You know, the evil Western patriarchal societies who gender norms are so oppressive. Yeah, those countries that issued women the driver's license so they could go back to Saudi Arabia and not drive. Now, these 10 women, I mean, let's not be crazy. They still have to wear, you know, full body hijabs, you know. Uh, And four of the Saudi women rights activists are in jail for campaigning for women's rights to drive but hey have you heard have you heard the latest outrage on twitter oh my gosh the oppressive regime just continues anyway back to these women and their right to drive in saudi arabia these 10 women do have the right to drive but they also they're i mean they, <laughs> there's gotta be a guy in the car you know what i mean a quote male guardian has to be present you know as as it is in the you know case for all travel and education and employment and opening a bank account and having surgery you know, I mean, you, you could have a woman like you let her have surgery, but you don't want her to make the decision herself. There's got to be a guy there, you know, and, you know, a woman has got to be able to show signed permission slips if she wants to travel, you know, permission from a man. That only makes sense. Can we please concentrate on the real oppression that is happening in the West? <sighs> man. By the way, in Saudi Arabia, uh, women also need the permission uh, oftentimes for a man uh, or from a man to answer the phone. Uh, I mean, you can't answer the phone on your own, you know. They also have far fewer economic rights. They have no legal status. They lack education. They aren't allowed in sports. There's no legal minimum age for marriage. So, yeah, you can marry one of them at seven. Domestic violence isn't even a thing. Needless to say, feminists in Saudi Arabia are too worried about their lives to care about, you know, maybe I'm another gender that doesn't exist in science, you know? They don't they they don't worry about that because, well, there's not a man there uh, that will agree with him. 
Can you imagine? Can you imagine how the campus feminists would react if they face this kind of terror? Nah, let me reverse that. Who cares? Who cares? They're such frauds. They're so, they're you know every person in America, both left and right, need to hear this one message: grow up, grow up. Are you kidding me? Oh, I'm so outraged by shut up. In New York, they just they just uh, uh, allowed people now to put an X instead of male or female under gender. You can just put an X because you're not going to oppress your child. And the mayor said, well, that's going to make us more equal. No, that's going to make us more stupid. And more crying about, oh, my parents oppress me. Shut up. You want to know what oppression is? Saudi Arabia. Don't think about, oh, what would the people in the campus do if they had to live just a little bit of the life of Saudi Arabia? Forget about that. Do you know, feminists, how ridiculous you look? What an insult you are as you stand up for the rights of women against this oppressive regime here in the West while you're standing with people who are uh, who are with Louis Farrakhan, the Nation of Islam, the, the Muslim Brotherhood, the free Palestine people. You, you got to be kidding me, right? Do you know what a joke, what a terror you are to the actual feminists who are actually fighting for real freedom in most of the world? Did I say, by the way, all those people should shut up, grow a spine, grow up? It's Tuesday, June 5th. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Hello, Stu. How are you? Uh, better than you, apparently. No, I'm in a good mood. You're a little fired up today. No, I'm in a good mood. I, I just, I, you know, when I see these uh, 15 million women in Saudi Arabia and the God only knows how many homosexuals in the Middle East that are, you know, terrified, crucified, beaten to death, thrown off of buildings. I think of the civil rights leaders here in America, and I think they are fine, fine people who really have perspective. Oh, really? Yeah, that's you what are. I, that's what okay. I'm thinking. That's, that's interesting. What, that's what I'm thinking. Well, I'm glad you've hit on the yeah. uh, the minor details of the Me Too movement. The, the minor the, detail. minor details, because yeah. these aren't the important issues. The important issues are happening here in America. Right. Where women are really targeted. Right. Yeah, uh, I know. I know. We're talking about all sorts of vicious treatment. Horrible. Um, Horrible. And, and you know, like I, it's funny you bring that up because that's it's good perspective as we go into this conversation about Bill Clinton. Mm. Now, Clinton, I, I want to get to this in a second. Mm. This whole situation with his interviews lately, which are really going off the off the rails. You know why? He's no law. Listen. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I, I watched. Can I sidebar your honor sure, for just course, a second? Yeah. Um, I I watched the Soviet story last night. Oh, okay, great. Which is debuting on the blaze. So when Coming up on the blaze in a couple of weeks. I think okay, a couple of comes, weeks. So it's, it's, it's unbelievable. It is just unbelievable. 
So I'm watching that last night, and now I can't remember why I told you that. What were we talking about? About the, Me Too, movement the Me Too and, movement and... Crap, uh, I had a really good no point. He's no longer useful? Oh, yeah, he's no longer useful. Okay, so here's the thing. How do... How do these, quote, revolutionaries, these, these Marxists, not know enough about their own history every single time <laughs> yeah. that it gets to a point to where you've outlived your usefulness and they kill you? Now, here in America, they're not killing anyone yet, but they are destroying the Clintons. Why? Because they don't have any power, they didn't like them any anyway. By the end, by the by the by 2005, they had had enough. But they just put up with her because she could maybe get into power. They looked right. the other way the whole time. Now she lost against Donald Trump. They have no power. They're pissed, and they are going to destroy destroy them now yeah and i put the date a little bit later probably when she leaves the obama administration right like she's secretary of state she's still very popular they know that she's potentially the heir apparent they start to lose favor with her after that when all the scandal starts happening and then as she goes into the presidency they stick by her because they want her to to assume the presidency mm-hmm. rather than just run for it mm-hmm. uh and but now they're done with the family I mean, they are done, done with them. i mean and 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 this gets let me give you an example of it yeah Bill Clinton is currently being hammered in a Me Too fashion over the Monica Lewinsky thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I, there is a lot to go through on this. And the fact check of his interview about it is absolutely amazing from the Washington Post. Now, wait, hold it just a second. Wait, a fact check? Yes. On Bill Clinton about the Lewinsky scandal? Yeah. And well, and more than that, they just absolutely obliterate okay, him. Okay. They categorize it as. Fact-checking Bill Clinton's meltdown on NBC's Today Show. Meltdown? Like, I I mean, like, I'm fine with that categorization, but the Washington Post is, too? We're on the same page? So wait until you see how many Pinocchios the Washington Post and what they're saying. They are... They are suddenly conservatives. It's amazing. They're All the points you heard in the 90s on like Rush Limbaugh's show have been right. now parroted by the yeah. Washington Post in as, a fact check. As fact, <laughs> as fact, and the reason why you shouldn't believe him on anything. It's incredible. We'll get to it here in just a second. First, let me tell you about our sponsor uh, this half hour. We so want to thank LifeLock for their sponsorship and bringing this program to you and making it possible. The FBI released a report citing Internet crime complaints with losses over $1.4 billion. 300,000 complaints received by the Internet Crime Compliance Center in uh, 2017. Two top crimes that were reported, non-payment, non-delivery. And personal data breaches. Now, non-payment, non-delivery. I, I am, I am a, I am a, 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 I'm Anastasia. And if I could just get back into my country of Russia, I'll send you a whole bunch of money for a hamburger today. The other one, 2,000 complaints were identified as ransomware. That one's really bad. That one is, uh, by the way, uh... I've got what was on your computer. Woo. Either people don't want to see what I've seen or 
Yeah, I know. That's really important, but uh, you're going to have to pay me to get it back. There are so many threats in today's digital world that LifeLock Identity Theft Protection now includes the power of Norton Security for added protection. LifeLock uses proprietary technology to help protect you against identity theft, like your information being sold on the dark web. And Norton protects against online threats like ransomware. So if you... If you uh, don't have time to be your own policeman, which none of us do, they are the policemen. And if you have a problem, they have the agents that work to fix it. That's the real problem. Nobody can stop all cyber threats, prevent all identity theft, or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But now LifeLock with Norton Security, they are uncovered. They're un, uh, they are able to uncover the threats that you might otherwise miss. So go to LifeLock.com. Use the promo code back, 1-800-LIFELOCK, 1-800-LIFELOCK, or lifelock.com. If you use the promo code back, you'll get an additional 10% off your first year. Promo code back for that additional 10% off at 1-800-LIFELOCK or lifelock.com. Welcome to the program. Glad you're here. Saw a drift last night. We'll talk about that coming up in a little while. Um, but uh, we were just talking about the press and how they've now turned on uh, Bill and Hillary Clinton. And it was an ugly weekend for uh, Bill Clinton. Poor James Patterson. He's doing an interview <laughs> on NBC with Bill Clinton. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll talk about the book. So, Bill, you're a rapist. <laughs> and just go after him. And now here's what's remarkable. It was NBC that went after him, Mm -hmm. and the Washington Post has now done a fact check on Bill Clinton's claims about, well, look, I no, this is not the story, and they are ripping him apart. Right. Uh, Fact-checking Bill Clinton's meltdown on NBC's Today Show. Now, this is not the fact check. This is just the preamble to the fact check. Uh, the former president responded with a defense that stressed how much he had done for women as a politician. To a considerable extent, that is besides the point in today's context, as we've seen with Eric Schneiderman, etc. We are not going to fact check the entire statement. Again, like, this is still a preamble. Mm-hmm. They're telling you what they're not doing. They're not going to fact check claims like, you know, this one. Clinton later in the interview admitted that he had not personally apologized to Lewinsky, uh, the intern we had an affair with. He had simply apologized in general, which is not what the interviewer originally asked. Okay, this is never not, do they get that specific. Never, never. This is how For they treat anybody. This is how they treat people like Rick Santorum when yes. they say something on there. People yes. they they absolutely hate. Yes. Um, we were amused that Clinton slipped up the phrase for the percentage in the bar when he bragged about women were overrepresented in his office when he was AG from 1977 to 1979. It's actually a low bar. Between 1918 and 1970, 1918 and 1970, only 164 women gained access to law, uh, Arkansas li- uh, law licenses. Only 22% of law licenses were held by women in 1998, two decades after uh, Clinton was AG. That's not them fact-checking. <laughs> that, as they say, two of his statements stand out as worthy of deeper fact checking. Right. So that's not what they're. That's just they're they're like, like but, hey, but here's we're not going to deal with that. We're not going to deal with that now. Here's all now. of his lies, but uh, <laughs> let's get to a couple of other ones. I left the White House sixteen million dollars in debt. This is a curious well, this claim. Drives, this one drives me nuts. And everyone knows this is a yeah. lie. In 2014, after Clinton was criticized, Hillary, um, for saying the couple was dead broke when they left the White House, former president had a much lower number. It's factually true that we were several million dollars in debt. 
Senate financial disclosures show broad ranges uh, from, like, for example, one million to five million. But the highest possible assets added up to one point eight million, while the lowest possible debts were two point three million. That works out to five hundred thousand dollars in negative net worth. The form shows that the Clintons owed one to five million dollars to two law firms. So legal debts to the two firms could have been as low as two million or as high as ten million. On the high end, the couple's net worth would have been a negative nine point eight million at the time, though that appears unlikely. Listen to this: the dictionary definition of several <laughs> <laughs> is quote more than two, but not many. You know, here is what here is what Bill Clinton should hear and Hillary Clinton should hear now every time the media approaches. Bum 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 run. I mean Harad they are hide. just you are the you are going to be taken. Because they can't stand Donald Trump, but they blame her and him for Donald Trump. So like it's like the cause of their agitation is this couple. You know, maybe just say it is wrong for me to feel such glee, mm-hmm. but that's okay. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Uh, the The definition of several is more. Remember, this is a, this is in a media uh, as Jen is speaking as a whole. The media defended him on things like the definition of the word is. <laughs> now they're hitting him with the definition of the word several. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, what is it? The midpoint of these two options is four or five million. The disclosure forms do not require the listing of homes used. For, listen to the depth they're going to to get to this number. The homes used for personal use, and the Clintons had two, well, $1.7 million five-bedroom home in Chappaqua and a $2.85 million five-bedroom room in the district. The first one was bought in 1999 with a big loan by their pal and later Virginia governor, Terry McAuliffe. This is the way they're talking about this is bizarre. And by the way, their pal, Terry McAuliffe, is turning on them now, too. Ooh. Uh, Clinton's put $855,000 of equity into the second one. If Clinton was adding all of his mortgages to his uh, overall debt, it still would not add up to $16 million, and it hardly seems kosher to count such fat, fancy lodgings. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Hillary Clinton, in any case, Hillary Clinton had already signed an $8 million book deal by the time the couple left the White House, which is true. Bill Clinton was set to hit the lecture circuit, or earning more than $125,000 per speech. Um, Clinton's 2001 tax return showed that they owe, they earned $16 million in income that year. Oh my gosh. Maybe that's the 16 million Clinton had in mind. That's how they, <laughs> that is, that, this is not the Washington post. That's amazing. This is, this is Fox news. That is what Fox news yeah. said in 2000. That's what all of us said in 2000. We were mm-hmm. all like, guys, that's not no, that's not possible. He's not in debt. They have a great job. It's the same argument the government gives us. You know, debt's not a bad thing if you've got enough money to pay for it. So please, give it a rest. No, they've never accept that. Now, 18 years later, because they're done with them, mm. they're, given, they're making the same argument. And then they go into the Paula Jones case. Listen to this. This will drive you out of your mind. Clinton claims, I had a sexual harassment policy when I was governor in the 80s. The document actually came up in the Paula Jones lawsuit against Clinton for, yes, sexual harassment. Again, it's just total disrespect to these people. And, you know, he deserves total disrespect. There's no doubt about it. But where has this been? Right. And it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good to me that, you know, somebody's destroyed. It feels good to me that finally the press 
is holding these people who have gotten away mm-hmm. with rape, with rape and theft for so long. It feels good that the day of justice is finally coming. And man, wait until you hear the rest. It's coming for the Clintons. There is there's a there's occasion where uh, you enter uh, into the uh, restaurant and we dim the lights just a little bit and we say oh tonight tonight you are going to have a five star meal huh we have got a chef that is preparing something just unbelievable for your consumption and enjoyment uh, today is one of those days welcome to the cafe. Good eating today on the menu. We are eating the career of Donald. I'm sorry, of uh, Bill Clinton. Uh, and Bill Clinton's career is being served up by the Washington Post and the media. Fact checking Bill Clinton's meltdown on NBC's Today Show. So we went through the the overall debt situation, which they with with a CPA right. uh, acuity, they go and, through no 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 and a dictionary and a, yeah and a dictionary they define the word several in there to make sure you understand that he was lying about saying sixteen million dollars in debt. But then they go on to I had a sexual harassment policy when I was governor in the eighties. The document actually came up in the Paula Jones lawsuit. Now again, for a Clinton in the past, they, why would they bring that up when it came, when the document came up? They would just, if they wanted to fact check this, they could just go look at the document or they could learn what they know about the document. Instead, they bring up the Paula Jones lawsuit, which is not necessary here, though they do refer to it a little bit. Um, the document actually came up in the Paula Jones lawsuit against Clinton for, yes, sexual harassment. The document is listed as uh, deposition exhibit number five in exchange for Clinton's, uh, in this exchange from Clinton's deposition. This is January 17th, 1998. The question. Uh, is this copy of the sexual harassment policy that you signed when you were governor of the state of Arkansas? Uh, Clinton answers, yes, I signed it in 1987. I'm fairly sure that I was. We were the first or one of the very first states to actually have a clearly defined sexual harassment policy. Now, Clinton's been using this excuse since 1998. Okay. Uh, the lawyer uh, asks, Mr. President, the criteria here under Roman numeral three were actually federal guidelines that you were adopting as the policy in the state, Correct. Clinton answers, yes. Okay, so basically, he, it's a it's already a law. He's just taking the law that already exists federally and making it his policy. Because he's bragging about it, right? Yeah, he has to. It's and a federal bragging. mandate. Right. Uh, the Washington Post says, yikes, quite a burn by the lawyer. Okay, now this quite burn, quite so you know, <laughs> this burn was 20 years ago. Yes. 20 <laughs> years ago. In other words, Clinton is bragging today about a state policy that merely implemented new federal guidelines. Now, why could he get away for saying the same thing that he said 20 years mm-hmm. ago? How could he how could he use that same worthless claim on NBC today? Because no one has ever said <laughs> in the mainstream media, you know, that's a lie. That's just it's a lie. They go on to say that it was actually one of the, the bottom 12 uh, by women's rights organizations and as far as worst places to live for any woman concerned with equal rights under the law. It also uh, it talk this is and then again, they could have ended it there, right? It's also worth recalling the allegations made by Jones that led to her sexual harassment lawsuit in federal court. 1991, while Jones 
think of this as if this is how you've heard this story. Because all I've heard is she's nuts and just wanted money, right? That was the that was the narrative for two decades. Paula Jones had nothing to it. Here's the narrative now that they're no longer useful. In 1991, while Jones was working at a state-sponsored conference, a state trooper asked her to meet with Clinton in his hotel room. When she arrived, she says, Clinton tried to kiss her and then dropped his pants and underwear and asked her to kiss it. She refused and quickly left the hotel room. Her account was backed up by people who said she told them at the time about the alleged encounter. Pamela Blackard, a state employee sitting at the registration desk with Jones, said she noticed she noticed Clinton staring intently at Jones and witnessed a state trooper asking Jones to go to Clinton's hotel room. She recalled that 10 minutes later, Jones returned shaking and she told Blackard in detail about Clinton's actions. Blackard told her to tell no one as she was afraid they would lose their jobs. Ultimately, the Jones case, listen to the reasoning here. Listen to the reasoning. After everything we've gone through the past uh, six months here, mm-hmm. listen to the reasoning. Ultimately, the Jones case was dismissed by a federal judge who ruled not that Jones was lying, not that Clinton was telling the truth, who ruled that even if her allegations were true, such boorish and offensive behavior would not be severe enough to constitute sexual harassment under the law. That ruling was under appeal when Clinton in 1998 settled for $850,000 with no apology or admission of guilt. In both cases, Clinton skirts close to four Pinocchios, says the Washington Post. He did have large legal debts, but $16 million is clearly wrong. In any case, he and his wife were able to quickly dig themselves out of that hole. As for the sexual harassment policy, he was simply implementing federal guidelines, an odd thing to brag about given the circumstances. Okay, so the circumstance was, let's just, wow. you know, let's just use Paula Jones here. I, I, I was curious when I, read, when I read this. You know, that's interesting coming from the Washington Post. You know, when did they change their view? And then I remembered, wait a minute, in 2016, Donald Trump brought Kathleen Willey, who was absolutely raped by Bill Clinton, uh, in my opinion, looking at what Kathleen, you remember her? Yeah. That, that, She's the one who's just I'm, I'm having rock, a rock solid, credible woman who said he came into her, her hotel room. She was asking for help. He threw her down on the bed, bit her lip, raped her, and then said, hey, you were great. I'm having a difficult time sorting through the rape victims of this particular person. But yes, uh, I think I do remember. Yes. So what? remember, they were brought in during the debate to unsettle Hillary Clinton. What did the press do? Nothing. They didn't talk about those guys. They never talked about those guys. It was just a stunt. In fact, what did the Washington Post say in 2016 when clinton was confronting serious accusations of abuse the country had a different attitude towards women they came forward with unverified and often unverifiable accounts of sexual abuse they were dismissed blah 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 um they lacked witnesses evidence and immediate reporting to the authorities they're they talk about the witness what no specifically about no they lacked witnesses evidence and immediate reporting to authorities and immediate reporting not to authorities but to this person Mm, i mean they have the witness and there was immediate reporting right after no 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 in 2016 the washington post i don't know what your source is but the washington Um, post said 2018 washington post 
No, but this twenty. This came first. Always, what comes first is always oh, better. Okay. That's a knockoff. Oh, okay. this is watch. This is this is like the Washington Post classic. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so Paula Jones says that while working as a six dollar and thirty five cent an hour Arkansas state employee, she would summon to the hotel room of Clinton and the governor. Uh, yeah, had, look, look. Why would you point out her her how much money she makes right. per hour that it's no way her. a six dollar right. an hour employee is going to be called up by the governor she's a stupid right. stupid ignorant trailer track and if she is she's got to know what's going to happen right she's going up she she's uh, going up for money yeah the six dollars and 35 cents an hour i mean she knows what she's going up there for and all of a sudden now she has a problem with it i mean that is a there's no reason to include that detail there no uh-uh. But they did. Yep. The Washington Post did in 2016. She had hoped that she could discuss a promotion, but instead she said he grabbed her. Um, uh, the Clinton de- defense strategy centered on uh, uh, blatantly misogynistic practices that they give them quotas for that. Uh, the progressive feminists, traditionally liberal late night comics, did their part to discredit and, and ridicule the women. Um, but in an act of proto revenge, an an ex-boyfriend of Jones sold private sexual photographs of her to Penthouse a few months after her claim became public. She immediately was the fodder for harsh jokes, many focusing on her appearance. Several years later, she capitalized on her notoriety by posing nude for the magazine, further marginalizing herself. Well, wait a minute. Well, wait. You're now marginalized when you when you take a a, a brave step. Uh, I mean, wh- how many times have we heard that sex work shouldn't be demeaned, right? Uh, the fact that she, again, what, were the, what was the first circumstance of those pictures? Private photos? Yes. Private uh, photos of is, the boyfriend. So revenge porn. Yes. Yes. But that's now okay, too. It's an, another mm-hmm. justification to say that she's not, her c- claims aren't credible. Right. She was just going after money, uh, and no. then it was revenge <laughs> porn, and then she had discredited herself, and so she had to make that money, so she went and did penthouse which only made things worse this is look i'm glad the washington post is telling the truth about this woke i'm glad they have now woken up uh and i'm no, glad i think the kids nowadays just, just say, say woke. woke i'm glad they're yeah. woke <laughs> i'm glad they woke my I'm issue here kids. is this is a a lot of times and i feel like i defend the media sometimes you know i think the idea that everything that's printed in the washington post and the new york times is fake news is nonsense it's not they do a lot of really good reporting. Right, but and they, sometimes, they get so, and sometimes they do both on the same story. Yeah. <laughs> but the issue is they get so frustrated and so they're so apoplectic about conservatives pointing out how frustrating uh, their coverage is. They get so upset about it. And it's like, how can you look at stuff like this and not see that there is a double standard? There does seem to be a massive agenda. No. No, Stu. I don't know. No. I don't know, Glenn. No. Mm-hmm. No. If I may loosely quote the Washington Post in their defense, it was a different time. It was a different time. 2016 was a different time? It was a different time. No, in 2016, they were saying that it was a different time. Yes, we we didn't pay attention to those things, and who knows about the past, but it, now it's different. Now it's different. Now we are, now we know. Back then, women were seen as, 
you know, uh, people that would just make up stories of sexual harassment for for cash. Ah, uh, and now they're and known now, as something else. Now they're not. Now we don't think that some of these stories are made up for cash. I mean, mm. I mean, uh, clearly they are because it still happens. Yeah, uh, some routinely. are, some are not. Some are, some are not. Can I ask you? Because you brought this up. How, how our standards change mm-hmm. and you brought up the term woke mm-hmm. so let me let mm-hmm. me ask a question because you're obviously an expert on being woke oh i am glenn beck woke yeah woke glenn beck yeah um is it woke <laughs> yeah is it woke <laughs> to do what we're doing now uh-huh. which is to claim that monica Lewinsky was a victim of something now i feel personally bad for monica Lewinsky because of after she made i think a big mistake she really paid a high price for it probably disproportional right like way higher than anyone should ever have to pay so i'm 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 with you on that but this is a 23 year old woman not a 15 year old woman Mm -hmm. a 23 year old woman our own marissa who is our producer here is 25 and also married how many people are married? My mom gave birth to me married at 19. The idea that Monica Lewinsky doesn't have the agency to make her own choices about her own sex life is not a woke sentiment. No, Stu. No, no. Women are, you don't understand. Women are powerful, okay? They yes, I would agree powerful. with that. But you don't understand. I, do, I don't. He I agree was a with you powerful man preying on a young woman. And what was her choice there? Did she have a choice to say, yes, I would like to enter what was, by all accounts, a consensual sexual well, that affair? That was the argument by all of the feminists at the time. Yes. Now all of the feminists of this time have convinced Monica Lewinsky that she really didn't have a choice. And, she she, was, and that's she what was she's used. saying now. Yeah. She's saying, I was, you know, look, I didn't understand the power structure was different. Look, yes, he's the most powerful man in the world, right? I mean, you know, yeah, he was very powerful. However, each individual has agency to make choices about consensual affairs. They don't have agency to make choices against Harvey Weinstein, who's forcing them to have sex with them and trapping them and raping them. They don't have choices there, but they do have choices to enter into a consensual affair with another consenting adult. The arguments that she was this 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 little girl wow. with no agency okay. were arguments that conservatives made mm-hmm. in the in the 90s mm-hmm. to say Bill Clinton was a predator. However, we should all, and I, and I said this at the time as well, when you're 23 years old, you have a choice to be able to enter into a consensual relationship with someone else if you wish. You are a consenting okay, okay, grandpa, adult. Okay, okay, Grandpa, thank you very much for that uh, cute little opinion. Look, 16 years old, you should be able to vote. But at 23, if you get into an, a consensual relationship, you have every right to claim to be a victim later in life i mean it only makes sense to it only makes sense why all right don't ask anyone to explain it <laughs> okay okay because you're obviously not woke enough to, uh. to understand okay plans of a summer getaway uh they can quickly take a back seat if your car breaks down and you get hit, hit with a huge uh auto repair bill have you ever i summer times oh I remember I was dumb enough to buy a, um, I mean, I just bought lemon after lemon after lemon when I was a kid. 
Um, wow, kid, 23 years old. Um, <laughs> but uh, hey, look at the decisions you're making at 23. I, I know. I, was, I bought a DeLorean. Yeah. And I remember at this time of the year, that thing would literally drive about four blocks and overheat. It was awful. Yeah. Awful. It was always on the side of the road. And every time, is, I, I know what it feels like when that check engine light goes on or you see something, you're like, oh, crap, and you have no money. Car Shield makes the process of fixing your car for a covered repair super easy. I have Car Shield. You should have Car Shield. If your warranty is out, get Car Shield now. Call them right now. 1 800 CAR 6100 before it's too late. Mention the promo code Beck. Visit carshield.com. That's carshield.com. Promo code Beck. A deductible may apply. Carshield.com. Mm. Wow. So excited. Coming up in just a second, we're going to tell you about the new um, psychopath AI that uh, researchers at MIT decided that, you know, I wonder if we could make a computer into a complete psychopath. They did it. Isn't that great? Details on that and so much more when we come back. Back. Mercury. Glenn. Wow, it is amazing to watch progressive politicians enact more and more progressive policies as if the policies were the default wishes of everybody. They were all all sitting around going, man, I just I just wish we could, you know, have some sort of a law in place where we only could use 50 gallons of water. (laughs) A former advisor to President Obama, Ben Rhodes, he wrote after Trump's election night victory, Obama asked his aides, what if we were wrong? I mean, I wonder whether I was 10 or 20 years too early. I don't know. I could have put your <laughs> I could have put your administration off another 20 years and been happy. Maybe it's just me. But what Obama was talking about was his administration's progressivism was just too awesome for America to handle. Now, in this thinking, America couldn't yet appreciate what he was bringing to the table. It was exactly the same thing that happened with Woodrow Wilson. What a surprise. Who thought, you know, my League of Nations, everybody is the right thing. Everybody's going to love it. We just have to repackage it and call it the United Nations. And he thinks he was so far ahead of his time that that is why people reveled and voted in Donald Trump. It's not because progressive policies go against human nature and more and more every day go against established science. No, no, it's because people are too conservative or too stupid, too dumb to know what's good for them. Obama and his fellow progressives all across the land just don't get it yet. Progressives continue to sprint towards the fringe of the left, thumbing their nose at Americans that don't agree with them. Common sense, science, rational thought. This week's example, New York City. The city council speaker, Corey Johnson. He's introducing a new proposal to allow adults to choose the new gender category of X on their birth certificate. Parents in New York City already have the option of declaring the sex of their baby to be, you know, uh, male, female, or undetermined or unknown. I don't know, honey. Look at it. What do you think it is? I don't know. What's that thing? 
<laughs> I don't know. Mark it down, unknown or undetermined. It's, it's really weird. We don't have this problem with our pets. Somehow or another, we're able to determine from birth whether Fido is male or female. And with a name like Fido, I'm, I'm hoping it is a male. Otherwise, the oppression of that poor slave dog that you have. Yet city and state governments are now endorsing the lie that you can't trust whatever it is you have in your pants. Okay? You cannot trust the science of X and Y. You, you have to listen to your heart no matter what science says. Oh, oh my. Now, Councilman Corey Johnson says, this is about making it easier for people to be who they truly are. No, uh, no, no, no. We can, we can look at your DNA. We, we can look at the genetic code and we can find out you're male, you're female. We can find that out. It's an X or a Y. That's it. We do that with babies all the time. We can just, we just check. It's male or female. X or Y. We know. That's how it works. I'm not a scientist, but I am a doctor. He says it is important for people to be able to express who they really are and to let them know that New York City understands them and has their back. Really, I lived in New York City. The only part of my back that New York City had was where I kept my wallet. Mayor de Blasio adds this policy, quote, will make our city fairer. (laughs) No, it won't. It'll make it more insane. It must be nice when you're a progressive to say things like that and not have to back it up. Yes, by by looking at our children in their crib and saying, I don't know, honey, could be a male, could be a female, could be a turnip. I'm not sure. Somehow or another, that's going to make your city better. By the way, I think it is appropriate that when you mark your birth certificate, if you want to be unknown or <laughs> I don't know what that is. You want that? All you have to do is mark it with an X. Why is that important? One of the most incredible and rare signatures that we have in our collection in our Mercury Museum, it's the only one that we know of that's in existence, is the autograph or signature of a guy named Peter Salem. He is the hero of Bunker Hill. He's a black man. He was illiterate. Couldn't read nor write. His autograph is an X. Back then, an X marking on a document used to be a sign of illiteracy. It's funny. Because now in New York City, it still is. The sign of an X apparently represents those who are gender illiterate. It's Tuesday, June 5th. This is the Glenn Beck Program. So Tommy, somebody came up to me the other day and they started telling me a story of... Um, how they found out if Peter St. Peter was actually buried under the Vatican. And it, it, it has all the workings of a great story. It's the Pope, but it's the Nazi Pope. 
And it's happening during the Second World War. All intrigue. They don't want anybody to know that they're digging underneath the Vatican's uh, the Vatican. It involves the archives and all kinds of great stuff. How do we know where St. Peter is? Because at the time, people were starting to say St. Peter didn't even go to Rome. He didn't even go to Rome and he wasn't crucified upside down. None of that stuff. You can't trust any of that stuff. So the Pope starts to look for the fisherman's tomb. That is the name of the book. True story of the Vatican secret search. Uh, John O'Neill is the author and he joins us now. Hi, John. How are you? Hi, Glenn. It's a great honor to be on your show. Thank you. So, John, I'm I'm fascinated by this story. Um, in a nutshell, just tell the part of the story first about St. Peter and, and, you know, where he was supposedly buried and, and why they didn't know at the time where he was. Glenn, St. Peter was uh, executed by Nero around 65 AD. Nero, the Roman emperor, notorious bad guy, had burned down the center of Rome to build a huge new palace for himself. And when people started to revolt, he blamed the fire on the Christians. By legend, St. Peter was captured by Nero and then crucified upside down, since he didn't want to be crucified in the same manner as Christ. His body was thrown on a nearby hill where there was a dump, and the name of that hill was Vatican Hill. Much later, Constantine showed up, uh, legalized Christianity around 310 A.D., and he built a great church, the first St. Peter's, on that hill. He had to flatten the hill in order to do it, bearing everything underneath the the new church. Legend said that he built it directly over the grave of uh, Peter, but until these excavations, nothing new about it. And in 1939, they began to bury the old pope under the Vatican, where he strangely wanted to be buried. And the workman who was digging fell suddenly down into a room, uh, about 30 feet into a room. It was a room of fabulous Roman murals and, and statuary that no one had any idea was under the uh, Vatican. They looked a little further, found the tomb of a Christian woman from the early 2nd century, and that's when uh, Pius decided to pursue the legend that St. Peter was buried under St. Peter's. That was 1940. Okay, so it was legend, and it was also starting to be used against Christianity to discredit the Bible and everything else and say that... You know, St. Peter never even came here. All of that stuff is nonsense. And and quite honestly, some of the stuff that Constantine said was nonsense, uh, or at least, you know, just on the word of his mother. It wasn't scholarly at the time. Um, so so w- w- the Pope was motivated to find the truth. Uh, and why did he think that he would uh, find it there? Or is that why he kept it secret, this hunt for St. Peter? Well, he kept it secret for a couple of reasons, I think. First, um, the you know, Italy was ruled by the fascists and then by the Nazis. Had they actually discovered that this search was in progress, they probably would have seized control of it. Second, he didn't want any false rumors, uh, either success or failure, to come out. So he insisted that all the excavations be done by hand. So you can imagine trying to excavate over a million uh you know, square feet of fill by hand under this uh, huge structure overhead, immensely expensive. So they came here, amazingly, to Texas, secured financing 
from one of the wealthiest men in the world at the time who, who provided it anonymously under express agreement that his name would never be known. A man named George Strait, who gave away a great fortune anonymously, as the book relates. I have to tell and, you, I, uh, it, John, read, John, reading your book, I had no idea who this guy was, Strait. I'd never heard of him. Uh, I never heard of his oil uh, strike. What was the name of that? The it was stri- the Great East Conroe Field. It was the third largest uh, oil field ever discovered in the United States. He owned, uh, he produced over 500 million barrels to his interest alone during World War II. He would be thrilled, Glenn. He gave away everything anonymously. He would be thrilled to know that neither you nor anybody else had ever heard of him, that there was no Wikipedia entry. He, he gave away many hundreds of millions of dollars, always under express condition that no one mentioned uh, his name, that no one know. He believed in the biblical passage that said you can either claim credit in this world or in the next world. After his death, things began to be named for him, like Strake uh, High School and uh, Strake um, Scout Camps all over the country. And But that was only after he died. Um, he doesn't even have a Wikipedia entry. Um, he, he believed strongly that the oil field was given to him by God to use the, the proceeds during his life to give them all away. Um, he said often the oil companies laughed at him. He couldn't get anyone to back him when he when he drilled this this great well. And he he said they didn't realize God was uh, on his shoulder. He was a wildcatter team of two, and he gave it all away all away during his life. Yeah, he he drilled that first that first uh, hole with his last dollar. And I love the promise that you write about that he says to his wife, uh, you know, can we do that? And she said, only if we hit it, you never, ever question my shopping bills. And uh, that's exactly right. George was sort of parsimonious, except incredibly generous in giving the money away. His wife, Susan, said, look, uh, George, you can drill as long as you promise you'll never question anything else I buy. She became one of the most famous uh, shoppers in the world. I bet. Really. And, uh, they, they, of course, became close friends with Frank Sinatra, with many movie stars, all citizens doing, as opposed to George. So, John, uh, I'm going to take a break. When we come back, I want to I take us now back to the Vatican and the part of the story where we have this woman who, at the time, oh, women are not women are not going to be doing this kind of work. A very important woman that nobody's ever heard of. And he the pope reaches out into the reichstag to grab a priest from the reichstag and how they found saint peter's tomb and know that it is him we'll go there in just a minute let me see if i can find this story here real quickly there is a really really disturbing story here it is here it is central banks Observe sudden evaporation of dollar funding. Warns of global turmoil. Too hot? Is it, that's why they're evaporating? <laughs> no, no, no. We're borrowing too much. The Fed is selling all of you know the stuff, the gar- the garbage that they bought up mm-hmm. for you know quantitative easing, money printing. So they're selling all of that stuff, trying to get all that money back. And at the same time, the United States is just borrowing. Nobody wants to loan it to us. Wants to borrow, and so we're eating up all of the dollars, and we are crashing the economies in all of the all of the emerging uh, economies all around the world. 
So the good news is, remember that prediction? Hey, one day the whole world is going to look for somebody to blame it on, and they're going to point to us and our greedy habits? Yeah, that's this story. Anyway, nothing to worry about. If you believe that the that the world is on a crash course and is headed towards some you know possible turmoil or even real turmoil, you might want to consider gold. The hedge for inflation, which is happening. I have another story I have to share with you today about trucking. It's unbelievable. Uh, with inflation on the rise, gold is that traditional hedge. I want you to call today, find out how easy it is to own gold or silver at one eight six six goldline one eight six six goldline or goldline dot com. Make sure you do it now. Read their important risk information. Make sure that buying gold or silver is right for you. One eight six six goldline or goldline dot com. Looking for a great Father's Day present? Then bring the whole family to the Rights and Responsibilities Exhibition presented by the Mercury Museum. Take a glimpse of what the world was like before men had rights and tyrants ruled. Join us Father's Day weekend, June 15th through the 17th, here at Mercury Studios in Dallas. Get your tickets at mercuryone.org slash museum 2018. Trust is a weird thing because I don't like trusting people. I don't think anybody does. I, I like to know that, you know, that I fundamentally what is true and what isn't true. I want to know fundamentally that something is going to happen because I've been able to confirm that. But with when you're talking about a real estate agent, I mean, you meet someone in a restaurant or it's a friend of a friend of a friend. You, you don't know at all. You have to trust. And that's why just a loose relationship in your life is not enough when it comes to finding the right real estate agent. you got to find somebody who has gone through some sort of process, a screening process, uh, a rigorous one where they you know look at how they advertise and and how uh, their performance has been in the past. That's why realestateagentsitrust.com exists. It's going to do that process for you. Everybody that is on realestateagentsitrust.com has passed this rigorous testing, and that's why it's the right place to go to find a real estate agent. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com right now, realestateagentsitrust.com. So we're talking about the search for um, St. Peter underneath the Vatican, looking for his bones. During the Second World War, uh, Pope Pius uh, brings in a guy named Klaus. He's a priest. He was working in the Reichstag and not popular with uh, Hitler, believe it or not. It would be a, a kind of an unnerving place to be if you uh, weren't popular with Hitler. He was called back to Rome to help, but also another woman. Uh, it, her name is, is it Margarita Garducci? That's it, exactly, okay. uh, Glenn. She was, uh, she was like you. She was a person of great faith and great courage. She was a uh, diamond bit for the truth. After everything had gone sort of, they had found the monument that supposedly marked Peter's grave 60 feet below the Vatican, but not the actual relics of Peter. They brought her in. She was one of the greatest archaeological experts in the world. Um, she was an agnostic. Uh, they asked her just to take a look at what they had done. She told them they had done a terrible job. The Pope's solution was to fire everybody and put her in charge which didn't go over very well with the Vatican uh, bureaucracy. I bet. She became deeply a Christian as a result of what she saw. She found the earliest Christian inscriptions really in the world, um, done generally in code. Peter was a set of keys. Christ was a Cairo symbol. She found a wall within 16 inches of the plumb bob down from the top of the Vatican, and in that on the wall were 20 different prayers asking Peter to pray, for various things, and she found the words, Peter is within, and Peter is near. She learned that there had been bones in the wall, 
and she got the bones, which had been placed in storage, turned them over to the best forensic anthropologist in the world. They were the bones of a 60- to 70-year-old man. He had been crucified upside down. His feet were cut off when they took him down from the cross. He was had been about 5'8". The bones had been buried in the soil under the monument the Christians had erected around 100 A.D., but moved into the wall about 250, uh, probably to save them from Roman desecration. They'd been wrapped in a purple uh, and gold cloth. After the forensic anthropologists looked at it, they concluded it was Peter, and the Pope declared it was Peter. And there is a great deal of other evidence that it's Peter in addition to that. But she she was uh, incredibly courageous. Uh, She went to the Pope and said, hey, these guys have done a terrible job. And uh, she had no political skill. But she was probably the greatest archaeological detective of the 20th so, century, but she, not only in solving this, but they, other they were looking for a room with a golden cross and a large bronze sarcophagus that apparently Constantine had buried. And they found, they found this, and then there was nothing in it, right? And it was part of what was called the Book of the Popes? Well, yeah, there, was, uh, there were three different things telling us early things that told us Peter had been buried on Vatican Hill under St. Peter's. One of them was the Book of the Popes, which described a grand uh, burial with gold crosses. Uh, it also said that Peter would be found directly under the, under the, yeah. the, the, uh, in the center of the Vatican. It was right on the second thing and completely wrong on the first thing. There was no gold cross. There was no bronze sarcophagus they were simply the the relics of peter himself and just the and this the simple engravings that only she really uh had picked up on uh that said this is where he is they they were less than 400 yards from Nero's palace if any of the people carving that into that wall had been caught they would have been crucified or thrown to, to wild animals their families would have been enslaved everything they own and they would literally sit and engrave it on this wall john they had to engrave in code it thank you so much the name of the book is the fisherman's tomb the fisherman's tomb by john o'neill uh it's available everywhere pick it up this is the glenn beck program he's spending a lot of time um working on uh, my new book, Addicted to Outrage, which covers a little bit of everything and explains why we are addicted to outrage. How do you mean? How did that happen? And what does it mean if we can't get out of this cycle? And it includes all kinds of things. And one section is on tech and what is coming with tech. And uh, have you read that chapter yet, Stu? Yeah. Yes, I have. It's a little... It's a little terrifying it's a little terrifying (laughs) and it's probably literally one-tenth of what i want to put in the book but if i put the rest of it in the book it becomes a tech book uh i mean it is yeah you you would have been fine writing a tech book probably but yeah 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 yeah. this is a very high level you know 40 pages in the book of just here's what's on the horizon and none of this is none of this is crazy talk these aren't flying cars this is on the horizon. And it's not just, um, there's not, it's not pointless, like, I want to talk about tech reasons. It's why. It's why all this other stuff matters. Yeah. Uh, it really is, like, it kind of boils down why why this stuff needs to be talked about now and not later. Yeah. I had somebody last night read um, these three chapters that are just on, okay, here's why we need to act right now. 
he, I talked to him this morning and he was like, oh, okay, all right. I couldn't, uh, okay. I have to look all of that stuff up because that's true. Yeah. That's happening. Yeah. Holy cow. It's happening and it's going to happen at record speed. Let me give you, let me give you something that just came out. Um, I think yesterday or a couple of days ago, um, NVIDIA has just launched an, an AI computer that will give robots brains to be able to move, be able to do all kinds of 3D mapping, be able to have conversations with you, be able to recognize you, multiple faces, do multiple things, and be able to exist in a 3D world, okay? Now, that's quite a computer. Let me tell you about the computer that they just just released. It is the new Jetson Xavier computer, it's an incredibly compact piece of, of hardware, um, and it has a number of processing components. A lot of this is not going to make sense, but just hear me out for a second. The Volta Tensor Core GPU, an 8-core ARM64 CPU, two NVDLA deep learning accelerators, and processors for static images and video. In total, it contains more than 9 billion transistors, more than 9 billion transistors and delivers over 30 tops, which is trillion operations per second. Okay. One trillion, sorry, 30 trillion computations operations per second. That's significant. It consumes in power. It's, it, I mean, it's pretty power draining, uh, 30 watts to run, which is half of what it takes to run the average light bulb. Now, let me give you, let me give you a, uh, let me, let me give you some, some, some perspective on uh, 30 teraflops, 30 trillion operations per second on 30 Watts of power in a mobile brain. Let me give you this. Do you remember way back? If we got into our DeLorean time machine and we went back to, uh, it was uh, 19 years ago, next month or two months from now, August of 1999, Apple came out with something and it was the Power Mac G4. Now I remember because we bought one of these in about 2002 and I think it was about $10,000 and it was state of the art fastest thing available i couldn't believe we needed a ten thousand dollar you know cpu but we had to have it because of all the mixing we were doing and all of the processing and the crunching this was the only thing it was ten thousand dollars it was actually at the time banned from export because it was classified as a supercomputer that could be used to harm national security okay the Apple G4. It did 2,775 million operations per second. That means this new computer is 1.08 million percent faster than the G4. Can do, can, it can have. 1.08 million percent increase in processing power. 
the G4 was $10,000. This is just over 1000 That is stunning. Now, what this does again is allows a computer to be able to go out and be nimble and live and and start to work in the real world next to other living things on a completely unrelated on a completely unrelated note researchers at MIT who are looking for algorithms and the search for AI AGI ASI got together and thought I wonder I wonder if we could make an algorithm that became psychopathic. Now, when I'm with my friends of researchers who are studying algorithms, AI and AGI, I say, I don't know, but maybe we shouldn't find out. But they decided that they were going to try to make a psychopathic algorithm. And so what they did at MIT was they gave training of this AI. They trained it all on data from the dark web. So it showed it horrible films, horrible images all the time. <laughs> what on earth are they doing? Right? Right? Showed, the, showed people dying in the most gruesome circumstances uh, and just fed it all of this to see what would happen to the algorithm. Well, what do you think happened to the algorithm? Got a little dark. Got a little dark. Mm-hmm. Did a, Ro- a Rorschach test, you know, those tests where they show, you know, the ink blots. Yeah. Hey, what's this? Every time somebody being slaughtered in a bathtub. <laughs> what's this one? Somebody be set on fire. What's this one? All the time. It cannot think any other pattern other than psychopathic. Now, I'm just saying that maybe we should look at that one and go, good, okay, we know it can be done. Let's erase all of that and never do it again. Right now, one of the problems with uh, where we're going with AI and researchers from all over the world, we are being left in the dust. We have to decide whether or not we're serious or not. Whether we believe that the West is the one that should have the key to AI and AGI and possibly ASI, super intelligence. Because once we have general intelligence or super intelligence, whoever cracks this code, as Putin says, rules the world. China is moving at light speed on it. Russia is doing the same. We're really kind of not. I mean, some of our organizations, Google, we are, but we're not really working together. And perhaps there needs to be some sort of a Manhattan project, but I do not want to give this technology to the government. So I don't know exactly what to do because I don't trust anybody who is working on this anywhere. Because remember, fear the goals, fear what it is being taught. Example, MIT. Uh, fear what it's being taught because it will have total control. Now, the scientists have come around from all over the all over the world and they have 
signed a treaty and said that none of us scientists should work on this, but they are. None of us should work on this, and governments should not be allowed to weaponize AI. And the governments are getting around this, and people are, you know, closing that loop in their head by saying, oh, yeah, but you know what? Yes, yes, I'm making an automated drone that does carry weapons and can seek people out by their faces and can kill them, but still requires the human to push the button to say, yes, I, I accept that's the target. If we are training AI to search and kill humans, and that is their goal and their job, remember, they don't have general intelligence. Their intelligence is just to search and kill enemies. Whoever is told that's an enemy, that's their job. Just like the psychopathic algorithm at MIT, it's only been fed information. People need to be killed. If it goes into AGI and has any kind of uh, goal that says kill all of the enemies, if it decides to change the parameters of enemies or it just shuts off our override switch and decides you know what they're too stupid they don't even understand we cannot treat we cannot teach these things to kill us russia's doing it china's doing it india's doing it everyone is doing it should we not It, it, while we are sitting here and we are talking about nonsense, as we are sitting here talking about the things that, oh, what did you see what he tweeted today? Did you see what happened with Philadelphia and the Eagles? We should be talking about ideas and thoughts and how to draw parameters around the things that will actually impact all of us every single day. Because whether you know it or not, we look at our computers as, oh, yeah, okay, they've, they've gotten faster. Look at our phones. Oh, it's just a phone. No. Look at what has happened in, in, the, in the last 19 years. Look at the speed of the computer, the size of the computer, the size of the energy uh, um, uh, consumption, and what was... A threat to national security. Now something that is a million times more powerful. Yeah, it's just going to be used, you know, on the floors of Lowe's with their new little help bots. And it's not a, it's not a problem. We just designed that for the computer here at Lowe's Hardware. Let us uh, not be the show that tries to minimize the impact of the Philadelphia Eagles, however. I just, we do uh, have to talk about that. We do have to talk about that, unfortunately. I saw that last night, and I'm like, oh, geez, I'm going to talk to us too about this. <laughs> All right, let me tell you about Blinds.com. Uh, Blinds.com can transform the look and feel of your home. You know, sometimes it's weird. You, you know, you've, you've put so much into your home, and then you're like, Wow. 
20 years sure makes a difference, doesn't it? It's really pretty outdated right now, isn't it? Blinds.com can update the look of your home so fast. Um, you can have blinds, shades, shutters, drapes. Stu uh, put shutters in his house, and I love the story. Uh, blinds.com coming over to his house because it's true. This is the way they are. They came over, and I think it was your wife that picked out these shutters, right? Mm-hmm. Stunningly, she uh, selected the most expensive ones yeah. available. And what they say? Uh, they said, well, I mean, those are great, but you know what? We actually have this one that is just as good and actually costs a lot less. So, I mean, we'd recommend these. And that's what we went with, and they're awesome. Still to this day, they changed the entire, it feels yeah, they like do. they changed the entire house. But yeah. that room is, it's a completely different vibe. It is It is incredible how much they can change things and how Blinds.com is like, they're working for you. It's like, wait, you're telling me to buy the cheaper one? That's the way it is at Blinds.com. And right now, you can, of course, always, um, you know, get the sample sent to you in advance. They'll recut them if you mismeasure, you pick the wrong color, whatever. But now through June 5th, buy one and get one 50% off site-wide when you use blinds.com slash back. What date is it today? Now through June 5th, buy one and get the second one off, or no, uh, yeah, buy one and get the second one off 50% site-wide, blinds.com slash back. That's blinds.com slash back. Rules and restrictions do apply. All right. I've got to hear about the got to hear about the Philadelphia. The score was 41 to 33 as the Philadelphia Eagles <laughs> triumphed over the New England Patriots. I have to hear the Eagle propaganda uh, now from <laughs> I mean, I just I, I you know, I will never enjoy the uh, insertion of politics into this particular realm. I run from it as fast as possible. I mean, look, the Eagles, you know, didn't kneel last year. There was one player in the preseason who kneeled and never made the team. And then Um, did they go into the locker room? No, they did not go into the locker room. They did not. Uh, Malcolm Jenkins was one of their star players, is one of the most outspoken people on this issue. However, he put his his, uh, fist in the air for a few games this year. Um, But I mean, they, they weren't, you know, they didn't have Colin Kaepernick on their team. Um, I don't know why they, you know, why that's part of the narrative. You know, look, a lot of them weren't coming. You know, if you have a giant party and you invite fifty-three people and only four are coming, I don't know that you canceled on them. Uh, but that's kind of the way that it is. it's just a matter of making this into yet another cultural issue. And I, yeah, it's not. I just wish, you know, I it's not. They didn't come, and I think that personally, it, I understand everybody has a freedom of choice. Uh, but uh, would you have gone if if? Barack Obama would have invited us to the White House. Would you have gone? I mean, if you forced me to go, I would have probably gone just really? as, a, as a work requirement. However, I would not be interested in going. I, mean, well, I didn't to, say I would be. Well, no, uh, I would be. I'd be interested because why? Like, why are, why are you inviting us? us? Right. Yeah. But if there was some sort <laughs> yeah. of thing that we had done and he was like, OK, we're going to honor you wouldn't have gone. No, I, no. Uh, Can I tell you a story in history when we come back? Yeah, definitely. That, mm, should make the new new uh, the uh, the ah uh, the Eagles question Glenn, what they've just done back Mercury Glenn Beck it's Tuesday June fifth this is the Glenn Beck program so uh, the Philadelphia Eagles and Donald Trump are in a spat and they're in a spat because a bunch of them didn't want to go to the White House and. I was thinking about this, and I thought about this since Bill Clinton was in office. When Bill Clinton was in office and he was doing despicable things, there were people that said, I won't shake his hand. And I always said at the time, he's the president of the United States. Out of respect, you shake the man's hand. Out of respect for the office, 
can we not be civil to one another? So Barack Obama never invited, what a surprise, never invited me or anybody else that I know to the Oval Office uh, or to the White House just to meet. And I said to Stu, if, if the president would have asked you to come and speak, Barack Obama, would you have gone? And you said, I would politely decline. Really? Yes. Why? Uh, I'm not interested. I don't, I don't hold uh, the president of the United States up on some pedestal uh, of subservience or anything else. I think there's, a, there's an idea that you know, this is such an amazing power seat that you're supposed to bow down to it. And I, yeah, and I don't say bow down to it. Just go out of courtesy. Somebody, the president. I would offer him. I mean, like, what, look, if if uh, Bob, who is a plumber in uh, Montana, uh, asked me to come visit, if I was really interested, I would go visit. And if not, I would politely decline. That's the same treatment the president of the United States should get. So this is for any president. I, I mean, I like, you know, if, uh, if a president who I absolutely adored wanted me to go there, You'd then be I'd more probably be interested enough to go. Sure. I mean, we, we've visited former presidents before for interviews and yes. stuff. And obviously there's work requirements and things like that. But I think generally speaking, if I'm just asked to go, I, I you know, I'm not, I'm not won over it's a by tradition. the, by Let's the go with the Eagles. It's a tradition mm-hmm. that if you're the winning team, you go to the White House. It is. Uh, you know, when we were, in, when Obama was in office, there was a guy who was a fan of yours. Mm-hmm who was the goaltender for the Boston Bruins. Uh, and he uh, big, said no. He said no. He didn't want to go. What was our stance on that at the time? I mean, if you don't want to go, you don't want to go. Um, at the time, of course, the media was all over him. Yeah. It was, it was a terrible thing. That it was says, an insult, you know, to, the president insult of the to, the, to that office, to the old yeah. office. How would you never go to? I mean, and now, you know, I mean, look, there are the reports that between four and ten Eagles players were going to go to meet with Trump today. Now, if you cancel that, the only people you punish are the people who actually wanted to go see you. Right? Yeah, <laughs> like, if, if, the- if I were the president, if I were Trump, what I would have done is I would have said, oh, there's only four? Good. Because we're going to area... 51. <laughs> you know what I mean? You guys are going to be able to good. launch yeah. weapons. You know, you, I would <laughs> show you. Good. I'm glad there's only four because we're going to do stuff that nobody's ever able to do. And that way they all go home and go, we saw the aliens, dude. You should have come. <laughs> That's what I would have done. I'd show them something it. really cool. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the players that were going or the people who really wanted to meet him right and i mean especially when when most of your team isn't going to walk across that line is a real you're sticking your neck out a little bit to go see the president and then they cancel it so now and those well, remember people, i'm the guy who went to the oval after calling for the president to be impeached yes <laughs> bush yeah now and, and you have a different i mean i uh i really resist trying you know the, the attempt to feel won over by by that office because i think it's a it's, oh no i and i think you are too i mean i think generally speaking you are too you're looking at it as a respectful thing which i think is the office i don't mind okay. being won over by the office and the principles the office that stands for i'm not going to be won over by the man right you know what i mean i'm not a fan i i didn't go and 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 look at george bush and go oh he's such a great guy i like him now i still had deep issues with him my opinion of him changed because of private conversations, uh, but 
I was still hostile towards him at the end of his uh, relationship on my return. I was positive on some of the things I was very negative about. I, for instance, what we spoke about, which I wanted to speak about, was the border. He refused to. We did speak about the war, which I was also very much against at the time and thought, you're fighting this to lose. Yeah, yeah, we're fighting this to lose. We're not fighting this to win. What are we doing? He, we had a long, hour-long conversation about that, and that changed my mind. Uh, when you know, we didn't talk about the border and the border guards, and that pissed me off. So I wasn't won over by the office, and I'm not suggesting that. What I, here's, here's what I'm trying to get to. If, if President Obama or President Trump or you know, Bush or Clinton or anybody invited me to the Oval Office, I would go. And I would go and I would be polite and I would shake hands and I wouldn't be belligerent. I would be clear on what I believe, but I would listen. And the reason, reason why I say this, you should read the book Freedom's Forge. There's one scene in this book, Freedom's Forge, and it's, it's about how in 1939, we, were, we knew war was coming and we were in trouble. I mean, our guys had to train i think in 1941 we were still training with broomsticks literally we didn't have enough guns um and so um as soon as poland was invaded fdr knew oh crap we're screwed and so he called uh he called somebody uh from detroit his name was bill knutson i think and bill was this guy uh, who was just a scrappy kind of fighter. And he was, when he was young, he actually was the guy who ran the floor for Henry Ford. He's the guy. He's the guy responsible for the assembly line, not Henry Ford. Henry Ford screwed it up twice. He opened it up assembly line. It failed. He opened up a second one. It failed. The third time, Knudsen was there, and it succeeded because he said, no, no, you're doing it wrong. You have to lay everything out so nobody is walking too far to get the stuff. You have to line it up in a certain way. So he's the guy who did that. And he built the Ford into what it was. By the time he, you know, had real juice at Ford and Ford was popular, he was like, dude, we have got to get other colors and other models. People are people want something else. And Henry Ford was not into it and really hated that idea. And so Bill went over to GM, which was this fledgling company. He took it and he built it into a real challenger, which actually beat Ford in in a relatively short period of time. Now, during the the Great Depression, Bill was looked at as an enemy of the people. Because he's just this rich guy, this powerful guy who's oppressing his workers and blah, 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 blah. Okay. And FDR was going after him because the unions didn't like the boss, a GM. And so FDR was putting this guy's life in a ringer and anti-capitalist and everything else. And this guy was a very big American freedom kind of voluntary service kind of guy. FDR calls him Hitler's come into Poland and he says uh Bill I, I need to see you in Washington on Monday so on Friday night he's sitting down for dinner with his family and he says Mr. Uh, Roosevelt called me today and said I he wants to meet with me in his office I don't know what he wants to talk to me about 
And his family says, you're not going, are you, Dad? And he said, why? He said, Dad, this guy has tried to destroy everything we believe in. He has tried to destroy you personally, our finances, your company. We believe he's doing great damage to the capitalist system. He is our enemy. And he sat at the table and he said, no, he's the president of the United States. And while I don't have to agree with him, I should at least hear him out and meet with him. So here's this, quote unquote, these two enemies coming together and meeting. And he says, Roosevelt says to him, Bill, we're in trouble. And you're the only guy I know that can do it. And he said, Mr. President, you're anti, you know, business policies and your government controls are killing us. We can't do it like that. He said, Bill, I'll give you power. You can order what you need. You can do what you need. But we need stuff. We need tanks. We need airplanes. So he's, he did it. 1941, because he didn't have enough power from FDR, FDR fired him, got another guy, but it was already too late. He got a new dealer in there, but it was already too late because Bill had set up this system with all of the factories to where they were just cranking stuff out, but it hadn't hit yet. We were making, what do we make, 40 billion, I think 40 billion bullets in like, I think a year it was crazy amounts. We were we provided three quarters of all of the armaments for all of the Allied forces. Three quarters of the ships, the airplanes, the bullets, everything. And it's all because of that one guy and all because of that one meeting and all because he said, look, I don't have to agree with him. I don't have to like him and he didn't have to like me, but I should take the meeting. I think there's something important about that. And it's the way we move. You know, I heard a song today and it said, uh, there was just a line, it takes a lot of rain. I don't remember what the song was. It takes a lot of rain. And I thought to myself, I don't even know what this song is about, but man, it does. For us to grow, it does take rain. It takes those, those hard, rainy, cloudy, stormy days to be able to grow. If we if if he wouldn't have had that day, we were building liberty ships. We were building ships, releasing a, an entire ship from start to finish in five days. Same. Five. Can you imagine that? Five days for a liberty ship. And those are the ships that save the world. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, he was uniquely qualified to help something really important. Luckily, I have no discernible skills, uh, so, so right. I would never be in that position. Right, yeah, I um, guess. But, I mean, I, you're right. I mean, there are certainly circumstances. When, when you're talking about fighting off the Nazis and you're the one guy that can make it happen, yeah, you take the, you take the freaking meeting, right? Um, and I think, you know, look, as I said, I would, you know, if you had to go and it was part of my work requirements and whatever. Oh, stop it. I can't get you to... I couldn't get you to go to Canada with me. Oh, I'm a Canadian sports hero. Of course I'd go to Canada. <laughs> but yeah, no, I would not go to some of the those crazy, yeah. you know, risky places that you like Israel, to go, like, you know. Mexico. Like <laughs> Southern <Hawaii>. Texas. <laughs> right. uh, you know, all those places. California. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I mean, look, uh, you're right. I think there, there, look, there's a respect for your office. That doesn't mean that necessarily, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, 
a temptation, I think, by people that, you know, like, hey, wow, what an amazing thing it would be to meet with someone with all that power. And like, I, I you got to fight that instinct off. Right. Like, I, I, I appreciate the fact that you can go and say you're, that you're a free citizen and the president can beckon and say, hey, I want you to stop by. And you could say, no, I really cannot take you. I cannot take you. And I, I'm not going to give you the opportunity for a photo opportunity with me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's what a sports figure could feel like or something like that. So I, I guess I can understand that. You know, uh, I'd, I'd love to hear our opinion from uh, when that sports figure did that in uh, uh, under Obama. Oh, Thomas. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. It would be interesting to see yeah. where we where we stood on that. I mean, um, I think he did. And he did it outwardly because he was not a fan of the president. Right. And I and I agree with your right to do that. I mean, I have no hard feelings on that. I just wonder, uh, you know. Uh, is there no decorum is there no decorum and maybe there shouldn't be maybe Stu is right there shouldn't be I'm not saying there shouldn't be any no 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 you know what I mean that that you don't say you know this is a tradition we go we have our photo taken with the president and yada 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 I I mean here's what I don't like the president has been outwardly outwardly antagonistic against the league Right. I mean, it's not just it's not just that they disagree with him on a policy. Even he's been outwardly antagonistic against the league where they get their their salary. Uh, They're the Eagles. They should be used to people (laughs) being outwardly (laughs) against them. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. (laughs) I mean, I think the president did the right thing. You might get an ice ball in the head. <laughs> you don't invite the eagles to the to the White House. Um, all right, I want to talk to you a little bit about filter by. Filter by will um, uh, will help you in in many different ways. Uh, it is so hot in Dallas right now, and the air conditioning is on all the time now and you can't let those things overheat and work so hard i mean it is it is really really um pushing our air conditioning units and our air handling systems our our hvac systems to the max it's 105 or 107 outside and it's 62 in this studio or 65 in the studio you don't want to replace that you want to make sure it's running the way it's supposed to and changing the oil filter is the best thing you can do for your, your HVAC system, for your home, or for your business. Now, Filter by carries 600 sizes. They ship for free, 24 hours. They're made right here in America. And they have auto delivery, which I personally like. You don't have to use this, but um, they will send them to you every six months or however often you're supposed to change that thing. Um, see, that's how that's how I think that's how most of us are. I have absolutely no idea how long it six months, six weeks, six years. When I sell the house, I have no idea if you get on the auto delivery, they'll knock off five percent. Save time, save money, breathe better. Do yourself a favor so you're not paying high repair bills on your HVAC system. Change your filters. Do it with filter by filter B U Y filter by dot com filter by dot com. I get maybe I'm maybe it's my age that is making me. I don't know. I've always felt I mean, you worked with me during the Clinton Lewinsky years. 
You're always very respectful of the office, yeah. of the presidency. I may not like the president, but I, I am going. I haven't. I have never had a president be nice to me ever. No, George W. Bush was uh, fairly. Uh, you didn't have a bad meeting with George did I W. Bush. T- I tell you what happened with George Bush. Well, there's. I'm not saying every moment of your life. I think I would. I, t- I got to tell you what happened with George W. Bush. No, no, no. You. I don't think you know this story. So we get a call. Um, somebody, somebody in my office is talking to somebody in his office about something, and they were like, "Oh, we were doing something for charity," and you know those paintings that I did of George W. Bush. And so it was for charity. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was going to have him run over to Bush and have him sign it. Not for my charity, for, for Chuck Norris's charity. Right. And, uh, and uh, so we call. And the person says, um, I'm, 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 I'm not sure that, uh, that, that, will, that, will, that will work. That he would sign the, the picture. Yeah. And why, I mean, like, I'm not saying you've had a great relationship with the guy. You've been critical of him on the air and such, but because, quote, because of what Mr. Beck did with the Dalai Lama and George Bush's speech. And I was like, and so that's what she comes. My, my assistant comes back to me and she's like, what the hell did you do? And I'm like, <laughs> nothing. What are you talking about? Did I say something on the air? She said, no, it happened apparently at his speech. And you had met with the Dalai Lama, and he was there, and then he started giving a speech, and something happened. And I'm like, what? So she comes back. Apparently, you walked out of his speech. I'm like, I would never walk out of the president's speech. What? I would never do it, because you know me. I would yeah. show deference to the president. I would never do Oh my gosh, I did. <laughs> what? Oh my gosh, I did. And all of a sudden, it came rushing back to me i have a medical condition and occasionally it will get so bad and Stu has seen me it doesn't it doesn't happen often uh on the ground almost every flight i'm on it does where it's almost like a seizure but it's it's not and it's not good Mm -hmm. and it's not something that you you really want to do in public and uh i was sitting next to my wife and George Bush was being introduced, and I said, good God, honey, one of these things are coming on. And she said, you better get out of here before you cause a scene during his speech. So I got, he started speaking, <laughs> and I get up, and I'm getting up because I'm like, I've got to get out of here so I don't wreck his speech. And he saw me. Uh-oh. And he's like, that son of a bitch <laughs> can't even sit here while I'm speaking about the Dalai Lama. Wow, you're a jerk. Unbelievable. All right, back in a minute. I, you know, I couldn't take... Welcome to the program, Pat Gray. Um, I could not take last night the the tweets still at you know 11 o'clock at night <laughs> the media is so dumb they're saying this was a narrow victory no it's not what the- <laughs> i mean really it's you've had 14 hours to process this <laughs> normally that's a you know that's not a long time but in today's media world and with twitter and facebook corrections like that the whole world gangs up on you 
usually within five minutes stuff that dumb is is squelched still last night so narrow no it wasn't a narrow margin it was narrow in its scope that was what it was and seemingly nobody got that and also a lot of people were celebrating and and i think also a lot of people on the on the left like nancy pelosi very upset because there is no equality i agree with her there is there is no equality if if you must kowtow to someone's belief that goes against your belief Mm -hmm. then there is no equality they are greater than you you cannot say no you know you can't do you can't live with them because you think that you're that way you can't you can't do that just like they can't say you can't object to whatever because <laughs> you think that there is a god no you don't have to believe you don't have to accept you don't have to be a part that's the point i don't have to be a part of your religion i don't have to be a part of your relationship whether it's heterosexual homosexual i don't have to be a part of it I don't have to be a part of your faith, your church. I don't have to. Leave me alone. I will leave you alone. What's what? what, what why can Way we not get this? Way too much. It is. I was amazed at all the uh, conservative sites celebrating the ruling. I don't it think that so. great. I think it wasn't that no. great. Can we talk about this one more time? Mm. I really think uh, that what happened here was. The Supreme Court saying, no, dummy, don't, don't make fun of the religious stuff. Ask them seriously. Think about it a while and then say no. (laughs) I mean, I think you can come away with that conclusion. I mean, you Mm -hmm. could also come away with the conclusion of, look, Colorado really did a bad job. And they're saying just that they did a bad job and you have to take it seriously. Well, that's what I mean. Right. But, but, yeah. But it does send that signal, right? It yeah. Sends a signal it to does. I mean, just, just don't do a bad job on this. You can absolutely come to the same conclusion, just not the way you did it. And why won't the Supreme Court rule on the religious liberty issue? Why don't you just make the ruling? It's so easy. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's in black and white in the Constitution. It's so easy. Just make the ruling. Right now, you have people in the media saying, uh, Donald Trump cannot pardon himself. Well, he cannot pardon himself f- from impeachment. Mm-hmm. That he, If he's impeached, he's out. If he's convicted, he's out. He cannot pardon himself from that. Can he pardon himself for a crime? There's nothing in the Constitution that says he cannot. There's everything in the Constitution that says he can pardon anyone he wants. So it doesn't specifically say he can't pardon him. Now, it seems pretty slimy if a president is like, I'm going to pardon myself. But there's no answer on that one. Everybody in the press is insisting that he cannot pardon himself. I don't think he would. No. I don't think a president should, but could he? I don't know. Maybe. Constitutionally, maybe. It's definitely an open question, and there's no resolution to it. Um, We know, you're right, impeachment is one limitation, and it's only federal crimes. Yes. like So a state-level crime, theoretically, he could not pardon himself from. That being said, I think, honestly, he could. I think he could do it. I think he could. Um, I think, in theory, 
he could. I think he'd it'd be suicidal if mm-hmm. he did, but I think he could. Yeah, you know, I I, we, I don't know if that's true. Any, well, uh, it might not not it might not be now. I don't think it is suicidal as far as your base goes. I think by the time you went through that entire process, you're talking multiple years. You'd have your base so convinced it was completely unfair that they, I don't even think they'd care. Yeah, maybe. Um, maybe. And, and I but, mean that from uh, both I, parties. I want to go back to to SCOTUS. I mean, here's the media telling us where shall not infringe. Okay, right. they will make no laws respecting the establishment of, of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Right, right. It is it's that it's clear. That clear. They are crystal clear on whether the president could pardon himself when the Constitution is anything but clear. Here, the Constitution is 100% clear, and they find ambiguity. I mean, you just can't. Words are not rubber. They're just not. Um, Clarence Thomas is the only one doing this job. I mean, I really, let's be honest about it, because even the other justices that went on along, along with this, Thomas wrote a separate concurrence which uh, Gorsuch joined, by the way. So Thomas and Gorsuch give him a lot of credit here. But he went through and actually took on the case. He's the only one that actually did the actual job that he was supposed to do there. Listen to this. Consider what Phillips the Baker actually said to the individual respondents in this case. After sitting down with them for a consultation, Phillips told the couple, quote, I'll make your birthday cakes, shower cakes, sell you cookies and brownies. I just don't make cakes for same-sex weddings. It's hard to see how this statement stigmatizes gays and lesbians more than blocking them from marching in a city parade, dismissing them from the Boy Scouts, or subjecting them to signs that say, God hates uh, the F word, all of which this court has deemed protected by the First Amendment. So if those things are protected mm. by the First Amendment, you're telling me saying, ah, yeah, I don't want to make your cake is not. Moreover, it's also hard to see how Philip's statement is worse than the racist, demeaning, and even threatening speech towards blacks that this court has tolerated in previous decisions. Concerns about dignity and stigma did not carry the day when this court affirmed the right of white supremacists to burn a 25-foot cross, conduct a rally on Martin Luther King Jr.'s boulevard, or circulate a film featuring a hooded Klan members who were brandishing weapons and threatening to bury the N-words. That's all protected, but you have to be forced to make a cake? Wow. I mean, again, Clarence Thomas is the most important mm-hmm. person in america period he, he, yeah. I, he is the only one there wow. i mean he's not mm. the only one but he's the best one uh and he continues to do By an amazing incredible okay so now we have that bakery but that is i think that's going to open up all kinds of problems <laughs> for other bakeries uh however in the realm of starbucks which was interesting that schultz left yesterday wasn't it um mm. in the realm of starbucks Employees have been fired at yet another bakery because of discrimination. In Northeast uh, Portland, they were fired because a black woman came in and they told her that uh, they were closed. And oh, they were closed. They, were, clo- they, they, so they were, were open and they just closed the doors no, on her because were, she was black. Typical. They were actually closed. It was it, they closed they at close? 9. They clo- they it closed. was 9.06. It was 9.06. And so she came in because she was I still helping would. some whiteies. Yeah. Uh, and they had ordered before closing time, however. See so they I mean? were finishing up their order. Yeah, but I mean, if, if another white person would have walked in after 9 o'clock, they yes. would have said, Yes, thank they you, Glenn. Would have said, thank okay, you. Whitey, come on over that here. That didn't we... happen. Uh, it, two white women walked in oh. before oh, okay. the black woman. And, and they served, and they served them. Unbelievable. And they were also told it was they were closed. They were closed. They were closed. 
So because they were insensitive to the black woman, though, they, uh-huh. were, they were fired. <laughs> they were fired. What? They were fired. And it's interesting because... Wait, were they insensitive to the white woman? Uh, the two white women? No, apparently no. not. No, okay. Apparently not. All right, okay. Uh, they were fired even though the employees were not being racist, admittedly, by the owner. They were not being racist. And they were following the business's protocol of closing at 9 o'clock. But they were fired anyway because sometimes impact outweighs intent. And what are you going to do about that? I mean, impact outweighs, outweighs intent. intent. What was the impact? The impact was that the black woman felt bad. Uh, and their intent wasn't to hurt her feelings, but apparently they, they it did. It doesn't matter that they hurt doesn't matter. That the intent was. No, it doesn't matter what the intent was. Did they hurt the feelings of the white people? The white people okay, I have not seen that? come forward, and we don't really care okay, about so, those two. So, okay, so, but, oh, okay, so how do we know that the black person's feelings were hurt? Uh, because she is a black activist, and she made her feelings known. Ah! In fact, she's known uh, in the area as a professional equity activist. Ah! A what now? A professional equity activist. So her job her is job. to be an activist yes. for equity so you gotta wonder did she come in at 906 after the business closed on purpose so that she could or was she just running late like sometimes people do but then when they said that she thought you don't know who i am you're not gonna mess with could me be that too yeah i need my loaf of bread and my cupcakes mm-hmm. and so she left and i'm gonna teach those people a lesson and she did so the impact is not that she felt bad the impact is once again Someone chose the wrong target. Yeah, it wasn't a target. If it was not no. Uh, but if it was a if it was a non-activist, like these two people should have known. That, okay, well, uh, it's an activist. No, if it was a regular person, black, white, yellow, doesn't matter. A regular person mm-hmm. who has a life would be like, oh, sorry. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You might even be like, you know what? Come yeah. on. I just I just need a loaf of bread. I'm sorry. No, I can't. I got to close. Okay. okay. All right. Yep. You might even be pissed a little bit, but it's you're, you're pissed mm-hmm. at yourself because you were running late. Yeah. I've gone into places and, where, the, you know, it closes at, let's say, 10 o'clock and it's like 940. And they're like, yeah, it's too close to closing. <laughs> I have to. And I have I have I, I, am I annoyed? Do I yeah. pun- in, internally punish that business uh, by saying, you know, I'm not going back there? You know, mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, it kind of annoys me, and maybe I don't go back there next time. But I mean, it's not because of. Again, you, you're you're the one assigning the racial intent here. And in fact, the business in this case seems to even acknowledge it was not racist. Right? Yeah, they did. But yet again, they yeah. get fired. So what are you doing? I, what are so, you doing? You so are I teaching. think you're saying that as long as minorities want to come into your place of business, you can't close. As I'm, long as minorities just, want to do anything that you or can. any protected class, yeah. you cannot stop them. Right. That's where That's we are right now. Chaos. That's where we are. It is chaos. Mm-hmm. Getting one last question. Schultz leaving. Mm. Any, any. He's the CEO of Starbucks. Yeah. Founder. Any thoughts that this. I think he's setting up a presidential run. It does seem that way. He's hinting mm-hmm. towards it for sure. And the way mm-hmm. he, he, he dealt with this most recent thing, which was patently absurd. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, the fact that he closed all of his restaurants. Because two guys came into one of his stores uh, and uh, said they wanted to sit there without buying anything. They called the cops. And the cops are the ones that ruined, not Starbucks. The cops are the ones that removed them. 
You, the, Starbucks uh-huh. doesn't get to boss the cops around and say, please arrest these people. That's not how it works. Uh, and yet he closed all the restaurants and and did this penance, which was bizarre. Makes It, it mm-hmm. certainly signifies that like he's trying to show you how much he cares about these about these topics that are important to democrat voters one one more big big name that thought they were going to run for president mark zuckerberg how is his empire burning down to the ground you know Mm. just a just a year ago two years ago people would on the left and be like i don't know mark zuckerberg he might Mm -hmm. run blah 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 this guy would never run you would never trust big data (laughs) you would never trust that guy with 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 Facebook the way it is right now, I, uh, no, I don't, I don't, no, I don't think so. You disagree, Stu? Uh, the second they thought he could knock off Donald Trump, they'd embrace him wholeheartedly. <laughs> it's just a matter of whether they think they can get him there. Uh, I'm not talking about the political people. I think average person. I don't think I don't know. The average person's still on Facebook. Right? Like, what have they done? I mean, yeah, like, I think it's honestly more of a media creation. They do this whole thing about fake news and they make this big deal about it. Well, people are clicking yes to these these pages. They're not the ones that want them limited. They want they want to get the, the, the information that they want to access. You know, we talked about this with our, you know, every, every media company is going through this right now. But, like, if you're a big fan of The Blaze, you might not be getting these posts, the posts that go up there. Glenbeck.com, if you're following Glenn. You might not be getting the posts going up there because Facebook's trying to limit the amount of news generally that people are getting. Right. You have to actually seek it out and change your settings. According to Redfin, homes sold faster than ever in April 2018. That's just a couple of months ago. Prices rose 7.6% to a new median high of $302,000. What? That is the first time that the national median home price surpassed $300,000. For most Americans, their home is their biggest investment, and this is why realestateagentsitrust.com is there. We have over 1,000 agents all over America who are working to get the most amount of money for your house in the fastest time. Everybody knows selling your house is a real hassle, and you want it sold, you want it sold on time, uh, and you want to get uh, you want to give people a good deal, but you also want you know a good deal for yourself. You want to be able to make money and pull money off of it. That's why realestateagentsitrust.com was created, fully vetted and handpicked for their knowledge, their skill, and their track record in your area. Thousands of families have already put realestateagentsitrust.com to the test. The results are fantastic. You want to sell your home right now on time for the most amount of money or you're moving to a new area and you need a real estate agent? Realestateagentsitrust.com. That's realestateagentsitrust.com. Welcome to the program. So excited. The the Mercury Museum is uh, opening up next weekend, just for temporary uh, exhibit. It's uh, going to be in the 80,000 square foot uh, building of uh, the Mercury Studios here. We are transforming the entire, this is the first time we've taken the entire thing. Uh, and it's only a portion of what we have, including we found out yesterday, the actual handwritten Gettysburg Address. The original handwritten writing on the train Gettysburg address not like handwritten by you or something you you don't have someone out no No. handwritten the original from Abraham Lincoln wow guy who that's up in a great museum I think we're gonna have him on tomorrow uh, up in a great museum in Illinois the the Lincoln Museum he said 
he said he still does and people when they see it they weep wow i mean it's powerful going to be here in texas the rights and responsibility museum here at the mercury studios check your tickets out now mercury1.org mercury